You know, Lucas, I hate to say I told you so, but I've been saying for weeks that Nebraska's season opener against Northwestern was not going to be a walk in the park, was not going to be a fun little trip to Dublin. We said Scott Frost might get tarmacked. It's a it's an even year that bodes well for Northwestern. We might as well just give them the Big Ten West right now. We're not right all the time, but sometimes we are right. We both took Northwestern plus 13 and started the podcast off a little differently, but we told you so. We told you so, America. I mean, you've been saying since April, I think when the first when the week zero lines like first came out. You're like, I'm already penciled in. Whatever Northwestern is the week of week zero, I'm taking it. Literally. Literally um, said that. Uh, yes. Um, I think we can still, we can probably pull a podcast from April or May, and you'll probably hear yourself saying it. No, it, it was, I could not believe how similar that game was to pretty much every Nebraska loss <laughs> from a year ago. They have not changed. And just the fact that, it was so self-inflicted again. You had a couple of pass interceptions by, by Casey Thompson that were huge. But obviously, we, we have to talk about, I think the biggest part of that game was the onside kick. You're up. You're up two scores. Yeah. Going late into the third quarter. You haven't won a game since, like, since you beat this team, I believe, in like October of last year. And your strategy is to give them a short field and and it just completely blew up in their face and the, basically the only way it could for Nebraska. They didn't score any more points after that. Um, and on the other side of the ball, they gave up almost 500 yards to one of to a team that was one of the worst offenses, not just in FBS last year, but one of the worst offenses just in, like in the history of college football last season. So all kinds of bad for Nebraska, just all kinds of bad. He's Lucas Rohde. I'm Ryan Baffalucas. This is Running for the Roses. Usually we start with a little bit of intro and I like the cold open. But I was like, like you know, maybe maybe we'll just maybe I'll put this in and then we'll do the music or something, because my goodness, man, my (laughs) goodness. Um, How you doing, buddy? You're up in Wisconsin. You had a wedding on Saturday. Uh, You and Hannah are not not a vacation per se, but you're up there uh, up through the weekend. How are things going up in uh, in Wisconsin? Good, good. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like half vacation, just kind of half. Uh, just seeing family stuff like that. The benefit of us, we both work from home. Benefit is we can basically go anywhere and work. So kind of what we're doing uh, this week. Um, but yeah, it was good. Weekend or the wedding was amazing. Uh, it was one of my, my best buddies from from college. He was actually the person that wrote our intro music, that actually created our intro music. Nice. Um, he was the one who got married this weekend. Um, so, um, no, it was great. Uh, and spent Sunday, we went to a state park nearby, spent it with a bunch of family, some people I had not seen since pre COVID. So that was, uh, that was really, really cool to do. So all in all, 
good weekend and we had our first good weekend of football. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, man. I was up at a cabin. I was doing a fantasy football little retreat this weekend. So uh, really relaxing, drank some good you know, beer and, and hung out with some good friends. And, and it was nice. The, uh, the Airbnb we stayed at had a, like a home theater. And it had and it, and, and it had direct TV hooked up to the, you know, the TV in there. It was a, probably an 80 inch TV. So that's how I watch most of my college football all the way up to Nebraska Northwestern in the morning. And then and then capping it off at Fandy in Hawaii. It was week zero is a nice little appetizer. It's a nice little appetizer. Mm-hmm. You get a, you get a couple games that you're kind of intrigued by. Um, you kind of get your FCS versus FBS teams. We saw North Carolina, Florida A&M. We saw Florida State Duquesne. Uh, UNLV, Idaho State, but there's usually one or two games that are worthwhile, and certainly uh, we'll get to Northwestern Nebraska here in a minute. Um, Vanderbilt, Hawaii was interesting. Illinois, Wyoming. You also had some FBS on FBS matchups. Uh, Nevada versus New Mexico State. So a uh, little run of show here before we get into things. Lucas and I are bringing back our weekly roses. Uh, if, if you're a, a new listener to the pod during the college football season. We give out a rose, hence the name "Running for the Roses." We'll give you a uh, a rose. Could be a team, could be a coach, could be a player, could be anything. Uh, kind of a standout performance from the week. So we'll start the show every, every week now by giving out our weekly roses. We'll do a little week zero recap, kind of focusing heavily on Nebraska Northwestern, and then we'll go through some of the key matchups uh, in week one. Um, so I'll start with my weekly rose, and I'm going to give it to I'm going to give it to the Vanderbilt Commodores as a team. Vanderbilt uh, beats Hawaii 63-10. to 10. Um, The game was played in Hawaii on the island. H- how about this stat, Lucas? In 2020, Vanderbilt scored 17 touchdowns total. They had nine today against Hawaii. I think it was it was one of the best Vanderbilt offensive performances in, in decades, 63 points. I know it was Hawaii. I know it was a new coach. Um, but a, a pretty impressive performance for Clark mm-hmm. Lee and staff. Mickey Wright looked really good. The defense, opportunistic. They had, I think, two defensive scores, a couple scooping scores in the game. Um, but if you're Vanderbilt and you're a struggling program and you're trying to kind of find your footing, that's a really impressive way to start week one. It, it wasn't an FCS team that you hosted. You, you went on the road. It was kind of a weird start time for you. And, um, really, really impressed with Vanderbilt. I'm not going to say this is a bowl team quite yet, but you know the preseason win total was two and a half, um, and it's looking very, very realistic that they hit that now. Now I was going to say that we both took Vandy minus six and a half when we got through our picks. Get to our picks later, but probably the easiest money that we uh, will probably have all season. Lucas texted me. <laughs> Uh, you you texted me when Vander was uh, when Vandy was down seven zero. So the game starts. Hawaii goes right down the field, scores a touchdown, like quick. And I'm like, oh no, uh oh. And Lucas is like, we really need this. We both took the Vanderbilt over two and a half wins this season, and I was like, I know, dude. And sure enough, they outscore Hawaii sixty three to three the rest of the game. <laughs> and that game was done. It was it was a thirty five point third quarter for Vanderbilt. Uh, Mickey Wright outstanding. Uh, Clark Lee and that staff deserve praise. Uh, not sure how many other wins Vanderbilt's going to get. I know they get Elon this week, Wake Forest, and then Northern Illinois to round out the non-conference. But impressive for Vanderbilt Week Zero. So they get my uh, my weekly rose. 
Nice. Yeah, no, not really nice win for them. I think that could be such a confidence builder. I mean, last year, this was a team that, that had to go to overtime to beat a pretty bad Colorado State team on the road. This is a Y team not expected to do much this season. Uh, it's kind of a total rebuild there, but um, I think it just shows that th- this program is pro- probably moving in the right direction under Clark Lee. Um, and speaking of uh, programs moving back in the right direction, I am going to give my weekly rose to the quarterback of the Northwestern Wildcats, Ryan Holinsky, threw for over 300 yards, two touchdown passes against Nebraska, and looked pretty well. I think both uh, both of us were not super high on, on him starting this year for Northwestern. He started for most of the year last year, and that offense was ranked, I think it was like one of the five worst offenses in college football last year. But, I mean, really their whole offense, they kind of did what they wanted to against, uh, against Nebraska. I mean, Evan Hall, the running back, even had over 100 yards, so – I think that's a really, really positive thing if you're a Northwestern fan. Yeah. Um, I know we were both saying we weren't sure if they were a bowl team, but probably were, were better than their, their win total was given. This one, I think, kind of changes kind of the, the expectations now that you have for them in this season. Who knows? Nebraska could be a total tire fire by the end of this year, but be able to go on the road, you were a two-score underdog, and be able to pull off that win by – really being the complete opposite offense you were a year ago, I think is, is a really good sign for them. So that's why giving it to, to Ryan Holinsky, um, quarterback for the Northwestern Wildcats. Yeah, so let's jump into it. That's a really good segue. Obviously, the big week zero game, for really for the second straight year, was a Nebraska debacle. Last year, they go on the road against Illinois, first-year coach, dormant program, and they lose. Um, and this year, they – not really a road game. I, I would say there were certainly more Nebraska fans – uh, in the crowd in Dublin, but you know, you travel uh, across uh, the Atlantic Ocean, new country, you know, new stadium, whatever. And I thought Nebraska, like it was a very interesting game. Like you took the under as a lock, and I and I and I liked that pick. I was almost going to take the under as well. These off, both these offenses looked really good. I mean, Casey Thompson, mm-hmm. I mean, looked really good. Twenty five of forty two. 355 yards, a touchdown, did have the two interceptions in the second half. And like you mentioned with Ryan Helinski, 27 to 38, 314 yards, uh, two touchdowns, no interceptions. These teams, um, they move the ball well. Um, Nebraska goes out right away, puts a touchdown on, on the board. Northwestern takes the lead going into, into the half, 17-14. Nebraska uh, scores quickly in the second half. Uh, after a Northwestern three and out, Nebraska goes and scores. Northwestern fumbles. Nebraska scores again. They scored, I think, 14 points in like less than five minutes in the second half. And then the onside kick happens. Um, the onside kick happens. And and I'll give my thoughts. I will be honest. I I wasn't incredibly anti-onside kick. I'll be honest. Um, you had momentum. I think you thought if you recovered the onside kick, you go and score a touchdown. You probably put the game away. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Northwestern gets the onside kick. They go down. They score. Nebraska doesn't score again. Nebraska had 28 points, I think, with about 35 minutes into this game. And they didn't score again. And that's that's the storyline. Like, you could not close. And we have seen this with Nebraska time and time again. You cannot finish games. And it doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is or who the quarterback is or who the special teams you know, coaches, 
They have not been able to finish games. Scott Frost is 15-30 and 30 in his Nebraska tenure. I saw a stat that Bo Pelini, they fired Bo Pelini. His career record was 67-27. and 27. Scott Frost, if he wins his next 50 games, he does not have a better record than Bo Pelini. It's just crazy, man. What were your thoughts? No, kind of going on the things you did um, are kind of the things you said. You mentioned you, were, you weren't necessarily a huge hater of the onside kick. Most of the time when it comes to being ballsy or being conservative, I almost always can see the side of someone trying to be ballsy and be aggressive and try to win a game. But my thing with Scott Frost is you, he basically put himself in a position for his team not to succeed. Yes, if they get that onside kick, that's great, but you're up two scores. It's the best position you've been in to win a game in, since you beat Northwestern last year. And basically, you knew if that failed, it was going to backfire. One, Northwestern was going to get great field position. But two, you were putting your team in a position that they struggled in so much last year. And you were doing it almost purposely. And that is why like, I just can't fathom what was going through his head. I get it. He wants to be aggressive. But I just kind of thought, I think it's just a trip, an ego trip from a coach thinking he has this game in the bag. Let's be aggressive. Let's get it out. Not knowing the circumstances of kind of what he's doing. And I think when that happened, I think it just reinvigorated Northwestern. They're like, oh, my God, they really tried to do that. They really think they need to do this to beat us. I think it gave them a ton of confidence. Obviously, it gave them a short field on that possession. But to me, it's just kind of the same stuff you mentioned. Yeah, really good numbers from Casey Thompson. But kind of the same like with Adrian Martinez last year. They just had just brutal, brutal turnovers that kind of swung parts of this game. They had three total in uh, during the uh, during the whole contest versus one for Northwestern. And it's just kind of the, the same thing. It's literally a train ride we know is going to wreck, but yet we're still sticking around because it's a nice scenic view, and we think, oh, no, maybe they get, they'll get it fixed by then, even though it's the same company and the same conductor. And if I'm a Nebraska fan, I'm just – I'm just like, you got North Dakota this next week, but then I believe you have Oklahoma right after that. Yeah. So I don't know if they can change much, but this 10 straight losses they've had by one score. Um, it's just in their DNA right now. That's what they're known for. And unfortunately, I don't think that's going to, unless they change it this year, I don't think it's going to happen until they have a new person running the show, unfortunately. Some teams and, and, and some programs, you kind of just develop like a stench. Like if you look at the NBA, like Sacramento, there's it's just a stench, right? Players get drafted there. They don't they, they don't turn out. It, you know, eats coaches alive, whatever. And Nebraska just kind of has this stench, you know, and and they have really I, I commend them because they have given Scott Frost a ton of time. This is year five for mm-hmm. Scott Frost. This isn't one of those situations where He gets, it's like a Willie Tagger where he gets fired after, you know, 15 or 16 games. Like you have a, you have a a lot of sample size with Scott Frost. And I was mostly surprised. Like I thought Nebraska's offense, I thought was okay. I mean, they didn't score in the basically last quarter and a half, but uh, the defense I was really disappointed about. I mean, they, Northwestern shredded them for 244 rushing yards, almost five yards in attempt. Ryan Helensky, like, Completed almost 70% of his passes, 314 yards, two touchdowns. Like, 
Malik Washington for Northwestern had eight catches for 97 yards. Like they shredded Nebraska. Nebraska had, mm-hmm. they struggled to tackle in space. They struggled to get off the field on third down. Um, and they wore down. I mean, Nebraska, I mean, the, the puke jokes were all over the place because Nebraska just, they wore down. Like they were getting, yeah. they, they were really getting run on quite a bit. Um, and I don't know where this goes. I mean, obviously we haven't seen any other team on Nebraska's schedule besides Illinois. So it's hard to compare. I don't think they beat Oklahoma. You have North Dakota. By the way, Nebraska played in Dublin on Saturday. They didn't schedule the bye week this week. So they're, they're, no. they're, they flew home. They got to play North Dakota. Then they play Georgia Southern with Clay Helton. And then it's Oklahoma. You probably lose to Oklahoma. And you still have Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, and uh, Minnesota on the schedule. I mean, if you lose all those games, like you're barely scratching six wins. So, listen, I, I think we kind of know how this goes. The buyout for Scott Frost drops, I believe, by half on October 1st. Um, I would be very surprised if he keeps his job. Um, there's a chance they – listen, there's a chance Northwestern wins nine games and finishes second in the West, and and we're looking at this. Nebraska goes eight and four, seven and five. I don't think that's realistic at this point. I just don't with what I saw. It's the same issues. It's poor coaching. It's poor decision-making. It's turnovers. It's you can't win in the, in, in crunch time. And that's an issue because in the big 10, like Nebraska's not going to blow out Wisconsin. Nebraska's not going to blow out Iowa or like Minnesota. Like you're going to have to win games in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. and you have to gonna win them on the road. And I don't think they can do it at this point. No, I agree with you. And you kind of, you were kind of touching on their defense. They didn't sack Ryan Holinsky once in that game. Once. Had a clean pocket the entire game. And this was a defense that, for the most part, last year was really good and kept them in pretty much every game that they played in um, when their offense really couldn't uh, get cross uh, the goal line. But, no, I it's, it's not great. If you're Nebraska, obviously, these next two games can be kind of tune-up games. Even though North Dakota is not – an easy fight. They're a pretty good FCS team, but uh, yeah, it's just kind of the same old, same old with Nebraska. Like you mentioned, they just kind of have a stench. I think when they get into a close fourth quarter game, they just don't know what to do because they have really no experience over the last year and a half on what they should be doing. And that's once again, why I just think the onside kick was dumb because you knew going in, there's probably the chances are against you that you're going to recover that. And if you do, you're basically putting your team in a position that they have failed over and over again uh, to complete. Uh, a couple more matchups with, uh, with uh, on week zero, uh, Illinois throttles, Wyoming 38 to six. Um, you have Florida state beating Duquesne 47 to seven. Vanderbilt, Hawaii, we talked a little bit about earlier. Nevada beats New Mexico State 23-12. North Texas goes on the road, beats UTEP 31-13. Anything else from Week Zero catch your eye or, or any uh, anything else you want to talk about before we look ahead to a loaded Week 1? Yeah, um, so kind of some uh, – so North Carolina's team, obviously, that we've, we're kind of interested in. We both think that the ceiling is really high on this team. We just don't know if they could be 6-6. Six and six or like nine and three um, impressed offensively with them over 600 yards. Uh, Drake may looked really, really good. However, uh, Florida A&M could barely put a team together. There was rumors. They almost had to cancel because um, they just had a bunch of players ruled and ineligible. 
Um, in North Carolina, save up, still gave up uh, 24 points, over 300 yards to a half-functioning offense. So kind of like we were last year with North Carolina. Really like their offense, still a lot of question marks, I think, defensively for them. And they got to go to – and they have a big game coming up this week against App State in Boone, North Carolina, on the road. Um, going to be a really, really interesting game for the Tar Heels. Um, but outside of that, um, yeah, nothing uh, nothing too crazy. Um, you mentioned Illinois. I think that was a nice uh, debut for them uh, this season. Um, they have another interesting game going on this week. But otherwise, um, really, I think we hit on all the storylines for week zero. Like you mentioned, good appetizer, um, but ready to kind of get here in the main course, which starts this Thursday, just two days from yeah, just to, just to wrap up on North Carolina. So that game was, was 21-14 late in the second quarter, North Carolina. Uh, it was 24-35, to North Carolina, at the end of the third quarter. North Carolina puts up 21 to put them away. And Lucas, like to your point, like I believe Florida A&M was down like 25 players due to either yeah. academic issues or enrollment issues. They were just weren't – like a couple days before the game, there, like you said, there were – there were reports that that Florida and was going to was going to pull out of the game. And listen, I think Drake may look good. Twenty nine of thirty seven for two hundred ninety four yards, five touchdowns. Uh, North Carolina ran the ball for three hundred nineteen yards. Um, <laughs> I caught a little bit of kind of the second quarter, third quarter. North Carolina, again, struggled to tackle. They struggled yeah. in space. They struggled to give up the to kind of contain Florida A&M. Not a good sign. Now, maybe it's rust. Maybe it's first game. Like, you know, you don't know. If, if this is a game that happens week one, we probably just gloss over it. Um, but because it, it happened week zero, there's a little more attention on it. I do think how Drake May looked um, is a benefit for North Carolina. But we'll see because you're right. They got a big one this weekend up in Boone, North Carolina. One of a uh, several really good games here, like you mentioned. All right. It's a loaded week one. It always is. It seems like week one in college football has become um, really the biggest non-conference week um, of of the season. Um, it's got to be between that or the week where uh, the SEC has its annual bye week and plays all the FCS teams. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's clearly <laughs> it's clearly week one. We've got a couple really big games, and I obviously I think we'll start in the shoe. Ohio State hosting Notre Dame. It's number four versus number five. I'm sorry, number four versus number two in the AP poll. Uh, Marcus Freeman's kind of regular season coaching debut. He coached Notre Dame in the bowl game, the loss to Oklahoma State. High expectations for Ohio State. This is a team most people believe will have the best offense in the country. C.J. Stroud, I think, is the betting favorite for the Heisman. It's either him or Bryce Young. Trayvon Henderson might be the best running back in the country, regardless of, of class. They have three or four really good receivers. Um, I'm interested to see how both teams look, right? I mean, Ohio State, if you have a chance to send a message right away. And Notre Dame, like, what do they look like under Marcus Freeman? Most of the staff is back. Um, mm -hmm. Tyler Buckner will be the starting quarterback. Michael Meyer, one of the best tight ends in the country. And a defense that usually is going to be really, really well coached and fundamentally sound. So what are your thoughts on the uh, Notre Dame, Ohio state? Yeah, I think it's kind of a tough draw for, for Notre Dame to have this in week one. Um, like you mentioned, even with the new head coach, a lot of the returning staff is back. Um, 
but I think just going into Columbus, I do think Ohio State wants to prove something in week one. Um, even though last year they won the Rose Bowl, you know, it's a disappointing season for them. And they felt like they did not play their best football towards the end of the year with the losses to, you know, Michigan and then obviously Oregon at the beginning of the season. So I think they're willing to, uh, to kind of send a mes- message. We talked about Ohio State's offense. Really curious to see how they are under Jim Knowles in that, that defense. Jim Knowles obviously coming from Oklahoma State. Where they had one of the best defenses in the country last year. Definitely getting a talent upgrade. Um, and they've got a couple uh, uh, good dudes uh, like Malik Harrison. Should be a really, really good pass rusher. So I'm interested to see how this um, Ohio State defense fares. Because I think ultimately their offense is probably going to score 40 points, over 40 points every game. But when they have to face really good, tough running teams like a, like a Notre Dame, like a Michigan, or even like Penn State, things like that, are they going to be able to handle it up front physically? So I'm, I'm interested to see that side of the ball. But just a great helmet game in general. I think this is only the fifth time these guys have like played since the 1960s. Um, so it should be a fun one. Um, and obviously it's going to be the headliner for, for week one. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Notre Dame for, I mean, they play at Ohio State, they host Clemson, they play USC, they play BYU, like the schedule is not easy for Marcus Freeman and 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 what a first game for Marcus Freeman. Game day will be there. It's a night game on ABC. You've got, you know, uh, Chris Fowler, you know, Kurt Herbstreit. It's going to be a great atmosphere. And I is, think you, is, is Freeman a, an Ohio State alum too? I, I don't know for sure. It sounds okay. right, but I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I think you bring up a good point with the the physicality, right? Because the two teams that beat Ohio State last year really out them, you know, Oregon in week two and then Michigan at the end of the season. And the the last time we saw this Ohio State team, Utah put up, what, 42 on them in the Rose Bowl. Now, I, I don't know what you take out of that. Obviously, you have a new defensive coordinator and, and you know such, but it's also the first game for Ohio State under Jim Knowles. How much of the scheme? How much of the, um, you know, what is he going to be able to implement during training camp? There's no you know, FCS game week one, there's no week zero game to kind of work out the bugs. You're going to see Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a new quarterback, right? Tyler Buckner. What do we see out of him? Um, you know, Kyron Williams is one of the best running backs in, in the, in the country. I do think you will see Notre Dame try to, to slow the game down, try to kind of enforce its physicality on Ohio state. And it's going to be a good test for them, right? Cause you're going to get that in the big 10. You're going to get that against Wisconsin. You're going to get that against Michigan. You're going to get that against Michigan state. So, I am really intrigued to see what does Ohio State look like on the line of scrimmage, offensively and defensively. Because I don't, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be able to throw for a ton of yards in this game, but I, I do think like they're going to really try to push Ohio State around, and I think mm-hmm. that'll be interesting. Yeah, no, uh, agreed. Um, we'll see if it's a good game. It's for for being a top five matchup. Uh, I think uh, last time I saw Ohio State's about a seventeen and a half point favorite in this game. So I think that just tells you everything people need to know um, about the Buckeyes. I would say probably my second biggest game for the weekend. I feel like it's a game not a ton of people are talking. Well, obviously, or no, a lot of people are talking about it because I've totally forgot Oregon versus Georgia. Yep. Obviously a lot of turnover with the Bulldogs. They had 15 <laughs> draft picks this past year, most of which on the, offense or defensive side of the ball. And then obviously with Oregon, what are they going to look like? New, you know, Georgia's defensive coordinator from last year, Dan Lanning. is now the head coach 
at Oregon. Um, this is technically a neutral site game, um, but it's being played in Atlanta, Georgia at Mercedes-Benz. So basically a glorified home game for Georgia. Um, yeah, I think this is – we get to see Georgia's title run, I think, against a pretty decent Oregon team that we don't really know a lot out of just because, you know, they lose – you know, they lost Travis Dye. Anthony Brown isn't there as their quarterback anymore. Lost their coach too, right? Lost, lost their, coach. their coach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mario Cristobal's gone to Miami. You know, what does this team like? Bo Nix um, gets to play a familiar SEC opponent this year, um, but he's going to be starting, uh, being the starting quarterback at Oregon. Um, this one, interesting, 2.30 slot, so a good afternoon slate. What are you kind of looking at in this game, Ryan? I'm really in- intrigued with Georgia. Like, to me, or, uh, yeah, this might be the most intriguing game, right? Because I think I know what I'm going to get from Ohio State. Georgia, like, I just don't know. Like, you lose James Cook, you lose Zemir White, you lose George Pickens, and then you lose all the guys on defense. Now, Jalen Carter's a stud. I've already seen him mm-hmm. in some way too early mock drafts, top five, top ten, their defensive tackle. You know, Kylie Ringo, same thing. You know, first-round draft pick cornerback. Um, is Georgia this kind of program that can just fill in all of these players? Right? We see it with Ohio State. We see it with Clemson sometimes. We see it with with Alabama. You know, you lose a bunch of players, you bring them in, and, and you know, uh, Jerry Judy turns into Jamison Williams, right? Stuff like that. And I worry about Georgia's offense. I mean, I know the defense is going to be pretty solid, right? You do lose Dan Lanning. I just also think, like, the familiar faces coming back to play Georgia, right? Bo Nix, at quarterback, who has played them three years at Auburn. Um, and then Dan Lanning, their defensive coordinator. Um, I think that gives Oregon a pretty, not a huge advantage, but like, I think having your, the coach of the team, you know, you <laughs> the, the team that you're opening week one, your coach was their DC last year. So you kind of are familiar with what they want to run, what they want to contain, stuff like that. And Oregon, like, you know, I don't think, yeah, I don't think either of us were super high on Oregon. I, I mean, I, you know, neither of us picked them to, to win the, the pack 12, but you know, if you go in there and, and you give Georgia a good game, that might raise your ceiling, right? We saw it last yeah. year. They went in. I mean, Oregon last year went in and got the biggest non-conference win of the season. They beat Ohio State in the shoot. Um, and I like I, – I don't love Oregon's chances to win this game, but, like, Oregon's going to be very physical. Like, Oregon – now, we saw them get out physical by Utah twice. I get that. But if, if you're talking about any Pac-12 team right now that I have faith on the, along the lines of scrimmage to play a big-time SEC program, it's probably Oregon. They have one of the best mm-hmm. linebacking groups in the in the conference yep. you or in the entire country. You lose Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, you obviously, you know, Travis Dye, C.J. Verdell gone, Anthony Brown gone. So there will be some new faces on offense. Um, but this is, I think, the most intriguing game for me because it's going to see is Georgia – does Georgia remain in that kind of tier one with Ohio state and Alabama? And what is Oregon is, is Oregon a legit PAC 12 championship contender? Don't want to overreact to one game, but I, you know, it could be a big, uh, a big game for both teams. Yeah, I agree. And I think, especially with, with Georgia, you mentioned kind of losing, they did lose some firepower on offense, but they still have maybe the best tight end duo in, in the entire country with, uh, with Brock Bowers and Eric Gilbert, was actually going to play this year, transferred from LSU a couple of years ago um, and did not play last season. So I think, um, and I think obviously for, 
for Oregon too, I mean, they're kind of, you think about it with the, the realignment stuff, they're kind of the face of the Pac-12. I mean, obviously USC and UCLA are still there for two years. But once they're gone, I think Oregon's basically the flagship program of that conference. Um, so I think this is for them to kind of assert that they're still a big player here in college football. So I'm with you. I think this is a really, really intriguing game. Um, and we'll see, yeah, if Georgia can reload like Alabama. They've recruited like it. Um, so I do suspect. The game I was going to talk about, I don't think too many people are talking about. It's at 2.30. It's on ESPN, same time as Oregon, Georgia. And it involves another SEC team. And it's Cincy, um, the darling underdog last year, first group of five team to ever make the playoff. On the road in Fayetteville, taking on Arkansas. Um, a team that I think, I don't think is going to win the SEC West, but wouldn't shock me if they have the piece to maybe be the second best team along with Texas A&M. Um, you know, Cincinnati, what do they look like? They lost a lot last year, nine draft picks off that team. Um, but still, many people are still picking them to be the favorite in the AAC. Um, and to me, like the, like for Cincinnati and Luke Fickle, this is, you know, no different than every other year. They got to go in and prove that they belong with kind of the big boys in college football. And with Arkansas, they want to prove that, you know, last year wasn't a fluke season for them, that they're actually building something under Sam Pittman um, with KJ uh, Jefferson coming back as their, as their quarterback. So I think this is also another really intriguing game. So like we said, week one is a lot of times just about narratives. And I think all the games we're talking about um, are building out what these narratives might be like for, for these programs. I think both of these teams really want to prove that their last seasons weren't flukes. I mean, Cincinnati has been really good the last couple of years, but you lose Desmond Ritter, you lose Alec Pierce on offense, you lose Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant on defense. Like you said, nine draft picks. Traditionally, Cincinnati is not a program that can lose nine draft picks and be... Uh, <laughs> Barley agrees with me. Barley's like, hey, Cincinnati, no. Um, you know, Cincinnati isn't a program that can lose nine players to the draft and 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 be close to what they were the previous season, right? And so not only that, they go on the road to an SD stake. That's going to be a great atmosphere, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, Fayetteville is going to be rocking. It's a, it's a two top 25 teams. It's it's an actual game on a. It's not like Georgia and um, Oregon or LSU, Florida State. Like it's actually at a at a home field. And Arkansas with KJ Jefferson, you lose Traylon Burks, you lose a lot of talent on defense. Grant Morgan, um, they have a really good defensive coordinator. I actually I like Auburn or um, excuse me, I like Arkansas in this game, and it wouldn't surprise me if 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 they cover. I just think there are too many questions about Cincinnati to for me to see them go into a, a good SEC team and get a win. We'll see. They did go in last year and knock off uh, Notre Dame in South Bend. Um, like I said, I think that both of these teams are teams that are kind of built similar. They both kind of have a chip in their shoulder going into these games because um, they always feel like they have to prove something. So we'll see. I think it's going to be a great matchup. Um, I think a very underrated one going into week one. Um, I think the other major matchup between, once again, featuring another SEC team, um, 
hosting uh, another team from the Pac-12, and that's Utah going into the swamp to take on Florida. Once again, talking about narratives, maybe the biggest expectations ever for Utah as a program. They come in uh, top 10, many people picking them to potentially make the college football playoff. Meanwhile, you got to go to one of the toughest places to play. However, Florida, we don't really know what to expect from them. New, uh, new head coach and Billy Napier um, pretty much brought in a whole new staff. Um, but this is a team that two years ago was playing for an SEC championship. And I think a lot of people just think they kind of quit on Dan Mullen last season. Just another intriguing one. Once again, just another narrative writer is, is Utah for real? And kind of what are going to be the expectations for Florida for this season? Yeah, like we talked about in our, in our SEC preview, right? Like after Georgia, who's finishes second in the East? Is yeah. it Kentucky? Is it Tennessee? Florida is one of those teams that is just not getting a lot of hype. They're just not. They're not getting the hype that South Carolina or Tennessee is. Um, I'm fascinated to see what Anthony Richardson looks like. I'm fascinated because he really didn't get a lot of run last year. Right. And I'm fascinated to see maybe the best team in the Pac 12 go and play the seventh or eighth best team in the SEC. If, I mean, listen, if Utah loses this game, it is, it is a, I'm not going to say a black eye for the Pac 12, but it's like a, a brownish, you know, greenish eye for the Pac 12. Right. <laughs> I mean, to, to have the, the program that is your preseason favorite play a team that finished six and seven last year. Um, the point spread, I think Utah's like a two and a half point favorite, so it's 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 slim. Uh, Utah brings back Cam Rising. Utah brings back their top running back, Travion Thomas. Uh, the defense we always think is going to be good. It still should be good. Um, I think this is kind of going to be a low scoring, almost like a rock fight. I, I don't think Florida's going to yeah. open it up or be like. I have questions about Florida skill players, right? Like you lose Jordan Copeland to Maryland, you lose uh, mm-hmm. uh, Damian Pierce to the NFL. Emory Jones is gone. Um, Ricky Purcell had an injury in training camp. I'm not sure if he's going to play in this game, the the uh, the ASU transfer. Like, there's questions about how explosive can this Florida offense be. And week one, they get Utah, one of the most fundamentally sound, like, best defenses in the country now. <laughs> Gave up 45 points to Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Utah loses. Yeah, that's, you know. that's an outlier. You put an yeah. asterisk. Ohio State. State. Um, <laughs> Utah loses Devin Lloyd, one of their best defensive players in, in a while. Um, but when Cam Rising took this job, like Utah was a different team. They were really, really mm-hmm. good last year with Cam Rising. So I expect Utah to win this game. I, I think it's like a 24-17, 20-13, 2014. Um, I think it's probably low scoring. Um, we'll see how Utah deals with the humidity. It's going to be a sold-out crowd at the Swamp. They already announced that. It's going to be rocking for Billy Napier's first game. As a Pac-12 guy myself, I would love to see Utah go in there and blow the doors off of Florida. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a close, a close Utah win. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of hoping as well. Largely, I just want Utah to win because it's just going to be unbearable. But the oh, with the SEC crowd, like well, one of our worst teams beat the best team in your conference, um, and I want to make sure that there is a Pac-12 team in contention this year because honestly, unless it's USC. I, it's going to be hard for me to see unless, or maybe it's Oregon if they're one losses to Georgia, but I think there's going to be a lot of flack if there's a one loss Pac-12 team going up against other teams towards the end of the year. Um, 
but no, it should be a, a really, really interesting game and, and see if Utah comes out fast. You mentioned last year, they, they started off slow. They went, started off one and two, made the quarterback change to Cam Rising. Um, you know, do they start out more faster this year than they did a season ago? Um, I guess we'll see. Um, just kind of hitting on just yeah. maybe some other other big games um, this Thursday. Really, really good to see the backyard brawl back for the first time in like 10 years. Um, Pitt taking on West Virginia, the battle of two former USC quarterbacks, which I think is interesting. Jaden Daniels um, uh, for uh, for West Virginia. Pitt has uh, Keon Slovis, who took over for Jaden Daniels. Uh, back in 2019. JT Daniels, you say it's not Jaden. My bad. My the first bad. time There's you said Jaden, I thought you said JT. I was like, oh, it's the same last name. Uh, Jaden Daniels is at LSU. Just yeah, wanted to clarify. My apologies. You're my good. apologies. <laughs> Jaden Daniels, meanwhile, plays uh, in a pivotal game for LSU, taking on Florida State. That one, like we kept mentioning, week one is all about narratives. And Florida State already has a win under its belt. They beat Duquesne handily this past weekend. Um, they have a better record officially this year against FCS opponents than they did a season ago. So congratulations <laughs> to them. Um, but LSU, obviously, are they maybe the most unknown team in the Power Five this year? New head coach, they bring in Brian Kelly. We finally know. Did they did they announce Jaden Daniels as their starter? Oh, yeah. Don't, don't ask me why, but I keep getting these LSU videos like recommended to me ever since our SDC preview on YouTube. So I watched Brian Kelly's press conference from uh, yesterday. He says that they know who their starting quarterback will be. He will not disclose it because it's it gives them a tactical advantage if they do not disclose it. Which you know he brought up the fact that Florida State played a week zero game. They didn't. I don't know. I think it's kind of some rubbish, but. I expect it to be Jane Daniels. Um, I, listen, I, I think you make a good point. I mean, LSU, like, if they go 10-2, and two, if they go 6-6, six and six, like, I, I think that's the window right there. Now, <laughs> I've watched Jane Daniels play for the last three years. Um, I did not see a guy who improved from year one to year three. I saw a guy that had 10 touchdowns and 10 interceptions as a junior. Um, but I also saw a guy that faced a lot of – he had different coordinators. He, he – you know, lost some NFL guys after his freshman year. Like what do we see Jane Daniels with a really good receiving core and a really polished head coach and offensive coordinator? Um, LSU, I, I think you have question marks at running back question marks on the offensive line. And maybe in the secondary, the front seven is going to be really good for LSU mm-hmm. and the receivers are going to be really good. And I think that's going to be an issue for, for Florida state. Florida state had three guys run for a hundred yards against Duquesne. Jordan Travis was, I think, 11 of 15 for just over 200 yards. They're going to have to throw the football. I do not think they're going to be able to run on this LSU defense with guys like Allie Gay, Mason Smith, DJ Ojolari. Like, it's a really good front seven. Um, so can Jordan Travis – I mean, but you you kind of have to look at it like, can Jordan Travis or Jane Daniels win a football game, right? And and I it's interesting to say that both those quarterbacks are like LSU and Florida State's quarterback. Yes. But that's where we're at. Um, it's going to be a really interesting game. LSU kind of at home, essentially, in, in yeah. New Orleans. I do think that playing a week zero game does give you an advantage. Like, I just do. I think you get to work out some of the kinks. I think guys get their first taste of actual college football. You hit somebody else. Like, I do think that's a bit of a X factor for Florida State. I still think LSU wins this game uh, as well. 
One game I, I wanted to touch on in, in Big Ten country on Thursday, Penn State-Purdue. Uh, you, you mm-hmm. want to talk about narrative games. Like, isn't James Franklin like 11-11 and 11 the last two years or something? Like, mm-hmm. P- Purdue a little bit maybe like overrated, Penn State underrated, Sean Clifford back for year seven. He's he's filing, <laughs> he's getting retirement in State College. Um <laughs> That's an interesting one, right? I mean, I mean, Purdue loses its top two receivers, David Bell to the draft, and the other receiver, I believe, was suspended for the season uh, academically. Yep. Um, you know, Penn State has Sean Clifford back, who was uh, doing pretty well last year before he got injured against Iowa. Um, and again, like, not that James Franklin's ever going to be on the hot seat because he just signed a 10-year contract extension, but just imagine the narrative if Purdue beats them. I mean, week one. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you're a Penn State fan and you have Michigan and Ohio State pretty clearly above you in that division. Michigan State's kind of ascending. Maryland could be feisty. Like, I don't know. I think that's a big game um, for kind of both divisions, right? I mean, if Purdue gets shellacked, maybe they're more towards the bottom of the West. If Penn State loses, maybe they're kind of a middle-class team in the East. Oh, completely agree. And I think with Purdue – I'm not really sure. I think their offense is going to be good. Major loss in defense, losing George Cardloftis. I don't know if they have really anyone else there to not necessarily replace him, but even a group of guys to kind of replace that type of production. They also lost their defensive coordinator from last year too, Brad Lambert, who's now over at Wake Forest. But no, I completely agree. It's a huge narrative for both teams if, you know, Purdue's coming off arguably their best season in like almost two decades last year. They went nine and four, won that uh, crazy bowl game against uh, Tennessee, the Music City Bowl. Uh, and as you mentioned, two very lackluster seasons from Penn State. I'm relatively high on Penn State. I think Sean Clifford, this is the first time he's had uh, an offensive coordinator, the same offensive coordinator in consecutive years. Um, so that should be a benefit. They have a stud running back in Nicholas Singleton, who is. Uh, was a five-star, one of the best recruits in the country a year ago. Um, I think he'll give them uh, an element they haven't had in the backfield in a while because they have to run the football better. Last year, I believe they averaged less than four yards per carry, just a little bit over 100 yards a game. They could not run the football effectively last season, and that put a lot of pressure on John Clifford, who you mentioned, was hurt for a good chunk of the season last year. So I like Penn State in this game. I can see why the spread is only like three and a half, though, right now. I do like them just because I think just athletically they're going to be able to to use that to their advantage against Purdue. But again, I, I don't like betting against Jeff Brom because he always has something kind of up his sleeve for every team. And this is the first game of the year. So they've been game planning this probably all month. Um, so I'm really, really interested to see that game. I'm excited for Thursday. I'm actually going to meet up with a couple buddies here in town and we're just going to watch college football it's gonna be that. great backyard brawl and a great big 10 matchup on thursday night um i want to quickly touch on friday two games like i i think virginia tech at old dominion's interesting michigan state mm-hmm. host western michigan the two games i want to touch on illinois at at indiana which is kind of like the ugly stepchild version of like penn state purdue like it's like <laughs> it's like kind of like similar storylines of like is illinois a bowl team is indiana a bowl team but just the stakes are way less my lord <laughs> and, uh, I know. and then uh tcu colorado so colorado we both think could be one of the worst power five teams in the country tcu opens the sunny dykes era i believe they are your preseason big 12 champion or in the championship game right they're in championship game i have a yeah. championship game big 12 championship game so um also took them over five and a half wins this year too yeah or six and a half i believe um 
I think Illinois, Indiana is interesting. Illinois, I mean, Wyoming just looked so overmatched in that game. I didn't watch a ton of it, but Wyoming looked looked like really, really bad in that. <laughs> Illinois kind of like it felt like pulled off the gas a little bit. Chase Brown had a monster game, over three touchdowns, 150 total yards um, for him. Uh, in Indiana, like Tom Allen goes four and eight last year. Um, you went two have, and ten last year. I'm, I'm I'm sorry, two and ten. The preseason, uh, the win total was four wins this year. Thank you. So two and ten last year, really struggled. Connor Bazelak comes in from Missouri. Uh, I mean, it's Connor Bazelak versus Tommy DeVito. Like it's very, it's it's very like quarterbacks that had one really good year and are kind of still. Uh, <laughs> uh, anything from Friday. You also um, you have Temple and Duke. Uh, anything from Friday kind of uh, catching your eye? Or is that like a hangout with the girlfriend kind of day after with the boys on Thursday? It, it, it is going to be a hangout. We, we've already got a date night planned for Friday night. Um, Smart man. Because Saturday then we're, we're going to a football game. So, um, no, I think I think the one you mentioned too, Virginia Tech, Old Dominion, battle of two former Penn State coordinators. Uh, Ricky Ronnie, who's the head coach, at Old Dominion was the offensive coordinator at Penn State. Obviously, Brent Pry coming over as from the he was the DC at Penn State coming over to uh, go to Virginia Tech. To me, for Virginia Tech, that's the game. If they want to go to a bowl, they've obviously got to win that game. Um, but this is an Old Dominion team that last year they didn't even play in 2020, and they went to a bowl game last year in uh, Ricky Rain's first uh, first season. So, you know, it's an in-state kind of an in-state rivalry. Um, but yeah, that's that's a game that they have to win, um, and uh, we'll see maybe early on if uh, Western Michigan has any magic from uh, beating Pitt last year to go on the road to to beat Michigan State. I doubt it, but who knows? Um, and then otherwise, I'm just really watching that Kansas game because um, I believe I have them uh, two and a half win totals for the year. Got to get that one. They got to get this one against Tennessee Tech. Got to get that one. Quick viewers guide here. Um, Lucas, while I go through this, think of some other games, if there's any other that you want to touch on here, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific time, you have, uh, you have Boston college hosting Rutgers on the ACC network, Appalachian state, North Carolina somehow is on ESPN. I think that's a really intriguing game. NC state goes at East Carolina at, at uh, noon time, uh, noon Eastern on ESPN. We move to the three 30 Eastern slate, obviously Oregon and Georgia, the big one there. You also do get Cincinnati at Arkansas, Arizona at San Diego State. We'll see if Scott Frost and Nebraska can rebound on the Big Ten Network against North Dakota. Uh, Tulsa and Wyoming as well. As we move into the uh, evening, the 7 p.m. Eastern slot, uh, Lucas will be at Camp Randall Stadium for Illinois State at Wisconsin on FS1. Uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame at 7.30 on ABC. ESPN seven o'clock is Florida hosting Utah. Um, uh, kind of some intriguing night games. Oregon State hosting Boise State seven thirty on ESPN. Uh, Washington opens the Kalen DeBoer era against Kent State at home seven thirty p.m. Pacific time on FS one. Uh, Sunday LSU and Florida State from the Caesars Superdome four thirty Pacific time on ABC. And then 5 o'clock Pacific time, Monday on Labor Day, September 5th, Clemson and Georgia in Atlanta. Uh, Lucas, before we go on to our picks, any other games you want to touch on here quickly? Yeah, I think uh, you kind of hit on some of the nightcap games. Louisville-Syracuse, I think, is an interesting interesting one in the ACC. 
Louisville, both of us are really high on. Syracuse, not so much. But I think, once again, kind of a narrative building for that team. See how Louisville um, kind of comes out of that. Um, and Syracuse, once again, uh, to get some momentum um, after going bowlless the last two years. Um, and then also just kind of go in sicko mode here. Six o'clock. It's on ESPN+. Plus. I'm happy I have a membership just strictly for this. But we got Army at Coastal Carolina. Let's I think go. that's just going to be a, a really, really fun game. You got the triple option versus the, the go-go offense at Coastal Carolina on the teal field. Um, you know, Grace McCall is back once again for Coastal Carolina. They should be a, another heavyweight in the Sun Belt. This is going to be a fun scoring game, and it might be uh, – I might have some pick for this game in uh, in our picks coming up here. Love that. Okay. Also, uh, Michigan will – for some reason, start two different quarterbacks in their first two games. Michigan hosts Colorado State at noon Eastern uh, on ABC. couple uh, coaching debuts here. Brent Venables and Oklahoma host UTEP, 3.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. And then Lincoln Riley hosts uh, Lincoln Riley and USC hosting Rice, 6 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Pacific on the Pac-12 network for an audience of dozens. All right, it is time for our weekly picks. Before Lucas and I uh, give our three picks of the week, we will take a look back at week zero. Very profitable for us. We went 4-1-1 one, and one overall. Uh, I went 2-0-1. Oh, uh, I had uh, a win Northwestern plus 13, a win Vanderbilt minus 6.5 at Hawaii. Uh, I pushed the under 44 in Illinois-Wyoming, and I got very lucky because that game – Closed at 43. So we had a buddy who betted at 43. He lost it. It was a 38 to 6 game. So I pushed that. So that's my tie. Uh, Lucas had a 2 and 1 week. The wins were the uh, Vanderbilt minus 6.5 at Hawaii, Northwestern plus 12.5 against Nebraska. His loss was the under 50.5 in Northwestern, Nebraska. Uh, for those who are new to the podcast, we give a upset of the week, a lock of the week and just kind of a generic pick of the week. Lucas, I will cede the floor to you. Uh, Why don't we start with our upsets of the week? So give me your upset of the week. All right. So just an FYI, I booked. So when I I bet these games, all of these I've already bet. I had to bet them uh, last week because sports betting is not legal in Wisconsin, at least not throughout the whole state. So these lines may have changed since I had bet them. Gotcha. One, I would, pro- I would probably still even bet it at what it is now, but I'm taking Illinois. I got them at plus five. I think on most books, it's like plus three, plus three and a half still. Um, at Indiana, I was actually very surprised they were underdogs in this game at all, um, especially after they're showing on week zero. Um, so it makes me a little bit worried because Vegas probably knows something about Indiana that we don't. I expect this to be a relatively close game. Um but I don't think this is one, even if Indiana wins it, they're going to win it by a lot. So, um, and I really, I actually really, really like Illinois even more after watching them play on Saturday. So uh, for me, my upset is going to be Illinois. Like I said, I have them at plus five, um, but I think right now they're going like more for like plus three or plus three and a half, but I would still probably take that anyway. Yeah. Right now I think it's plus three and I saw plus two and a half as well. So it definitely like the line is moving towards Indiana. Uh, that's well, that was one of the ones that was on my sheet that uh, I ended up going uh, almost went with it, but I went in a different direction. 
I'm going to take Oregon plus 17 against Georgia. Um, mm. I have a couple of reasons why. One, I like like I told you, I think Dan Lanny being the assistant, the former assistant at Georgia, I think is a bit of an advantage. I think he'll be able to have some familiarity with the personnel, with what Georgia wants to do, and maybe the best way to execute against it. Same thing with Bo Nix. Bo Nix has seen Georgia three times, right? Um, I know it's in Atlanta. Oregon travels really well. I know it'll be mostly Georgia fans, but I don't think it'll be like if this were, say, Utah or, say, like, you know, um, Baylor or something. Like, I, Oregon travels really, really well. So I do expect there to be some Oregon contingent there. And I think Oregon along the offensive and defensive lines, particularly the front seven on defense, um, I think they can hang with Georgia to an extent. I don't expect them to win the game, but I, I think they can I think they can somewhat match Georgia's physicality in a similar way to how they matched Ohio State's physicality when they went into Columbus and beat them last year. Um so I'm going to take Oregon uh, plus 17. It's plus 16 and a half on FanDuel, plus 17 on DraftKings. So I will take Oregon uh, plus 17. Um, I will go with my pick of the week. I am taking LSU minus three against Florida State. Um, we talked about LSU. They're a mystery team. They just have a lot of talent on this team. And I, and I think they can exploit some weaknesses I don't love Florida State's receivers. Um, I think Florida State's going to have to run the ball, and I think LSU can make them one-dimensional. I also think it's essentially a home game for LSU playing in New Orleans. I think there will be a lot of hype with Brian Kelly's first game there, and I think he'll have them ready to play. I have some questions on the LSU offensive line. They'll start a freshman at right tackle. They'll start a, a transfer at, at guard. Um, but Florida State lost Jermaine Johnson. They lost their second leading sacker, I believe. Like they have a lot of questions on their defensive line if they can rush the passer effectively. So, kind of think uh, Florida State's weaknesses play into LSU's hands here. So my pick of the week is going to be LSU minus three and a neutral site against Florida State. Um, so I am going to be going my lock of the week. It's going to be played also at a neutral site. Pick of the week pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Uh, also at a neutral site, um, <laughs> and if you consider it in uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm going to go with uh, Clemson minus twenty one against Georgia Tech. Um, that is the the Labor Night or Labor Day night game, I believe uh, this year. Um, played at the Mercedes Benz Dome. Largely, look, Clemson's offense might not be great, but I just think Georgia Tech is terrible. So <laughs> this could be a cold hard take. My pick, my my pick of the week last week was Nebraska and Northwestern under, and that was done by the third quarter. So probably not a great omen. But uh, no, I'm going to take. I think Clemson's offense should be better than what it was a year ago. Um, and like I said, I just don't think Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech got outscored. What was it like a hundred to nothing in their last two games last year? or something against Notre Dame and against Georgia. They're going to be playing against similar talent against Clemson. They And Georgia, if anything, lost more talent a year ago, um, especially with Jameer Gibbs leaving. So I'm going to take uh, Clemson minus 21, winning this game easily against Georgia Tech as my pick of the week. 
All right. I am uh, my lock of the week is going to be Louisville minus four and a half at Syracuse. Um, you talked about it a little earlier. Big year for Scott Satterfield. Louisville brings back a four-year starter at quarterback Malik Cunningham. And I locked in Louisville's over five and a half. I think Louisville could be a seven or eight win team. You got to beat Syracuse by more than a touchdown if you're going to be a seven or eight win team. So I have faith in the Cardinal. I think they'll be able to really run Syracuse kind of out of their own building. Uh, you do have Sean Tucker at Syracuse. He's really good. And I think Syracuse could try to, you know, slow it down a little bit, limit possessions. But I'm pretty confident Louisville wins this game by at least a touchdown. So uh, my lock of the week, Louisville minus four and a half at Syracuse. Nice. I bet that game as well. Um, I was what did you get it at? I got it at three and a half, Louisville. Okay. Um, so, uh, so somewhat close. So I completely agree with you in that case. Will not be picking that one as my lock, but I do feel pretty good about that one. My lock this week um, is Friday night game. I'm taking TCU minus ten and a half at Colorado. Um, kind of the same situation like it was at my last pick. Very high on TCU. Obviously, I picked them to make the Big 12 championship game this year. And I just don't think Colorado's going to be very good. I think this is going to be a rejuvenated TCU team that kind of kind of maybe stopped maybe playing uh, 110% for Gary Patterson last year. I think this was a much more talented team. Um, did they name a – I haven't seen – have they named a starting quarterback? either? Chandler I haven't checked either. I, don't I think know. both yeah. are going to be good options. They still have Quentin Johnson as he's one of the better wide receivers in the Big 12. And we kind of mentioned uh, Colorado might be the worst team in the Pac-12 this year with them in Arizona. Uh, so to me, kind of like you said with Louisville, if if TCU is as good as I think they're going to be, this is the team that you got to beat by at least two scores. Um, so that's why I'm going to be taking them. Minus 10.5 on the road against the Buffalo. Boy, oh boy, am I excited for a full week into college football. Week zero gives us a nice little appetizer, and then we got a couple good Thursday games. We got some intriguing Friday games. I mean, it's five days of football. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I love how college football does this. It's going to be awesome, man. Any final thoughts, Lucas, before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I did mention, I might, I do have a play in Army at Coastal Carolina. I did take the over in that game. It's over 55 Probably goes against common logic, taking the over against the service academy. But um, I just think both these teams are going to be able to put up points. This reminds me of kind of when Wake Forest played Army last year and they just scored a bazillion points. I kind of see a similar outcome, though, after I bet this, the number has gone down, I think, two points on the over-under. So I don't feel great about that. But uh, um, I did take the over in that game. So I did want to make sure, because I did say I did have a, a play in that game. I was going to mention it. So just wanted to get that one in there as well. Yeah, I've made several other bets already. I, I typically like to have between five and eight bets, uh, straight bets. Uh, me and Dakota also do a money line parlay usually. I've uh, I've already bet Penn State minus three and a half. Uh, I bet the North Carolina App State over 55 and a half. That's I a good bet, one. Yeah. I've got, I think right now I've got two principles so far uh, North Carolina overs and then fade Wyoming. So I took Wyoming minus six. I took Tulsa minus six and a half. At Wyoming. <laughs> That's kind of a sicko mode game. No That's, idea. I couldn't name you one so player on Tulsa. Wyoming is basically what UConn was for us for the first like six <laughs> weeks of last year. 
where it's just like whoever they're playing, we're taking them. Like, I think we take them. If like I last get, year, I remember I took Purdue like minus thirty five against UConn. Like, who would ever take Purdue minus thirty five against anybody? And they cover. I think they won forty nine to nothing. Like, it was very easy, uh, easy yeah. money. So it's not a bad strategy. <laughs> All right, man. Really fun pod tonight. Uh, we get started in like a um, couple days. Backyard brawl, a yeah. couple days away. Looking forward to it, buddy. For Lucas Rody. Go ahead. And if you guys want continuous good content and you want our other bets for this weekend, please follow us on our Twitter handle at uh, Running for Roses on Twitter. And we'll be sure to post um, some more of our picks um, here towards the end of the week, including the ones that we have on the show, too. I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting to plug the Twitter account. So good on you, sir. Good on you. <laughs> All right. For Lucas Rody, I'm Ryan Baffle. Lucas, have a great first week in a college football, everyone.